So we continue tonight in our series called Simon Says. And last week, um, if you missed it, you, you need to go back on to YouTube or, or check our, our podcast out on Spotify and listen to week one of this series because we're going we're gonna to build on to it. And this series is going to build on top of itself every single week. So you really don't want to miss out. But if you missed last week, um, you, you missed a couple things. Um, first and foremost, we tried to talk about a large clock tower in Europe, but instead we end up getting attacked by a small grasshopper. Do you guys remember that? You guys remember, remember that? It, it wasn't a cricket, it wasn't a cricket, and it wasn't a bird, so it was somewhere in between there, all right? And if you missed that, once again, go back on YouTube and watch it. But we began, not at the very beginning of the book of 1 Peter, but we actually jumped ahead to um, a couple verses into verse 13 to be specific. But before we dive um, really into that even, let's just, let's just do a quick recap on what 1 Peter is really trying to accomplish. You see, the book of 1 Peter is actually a letter written by a, a guy named Peter. He originally was named Simon, but then Jesus changed his name to Peter. And so Peter is writing to Christians in the early church who are dealing with persecution. And so the letter of Peter is going to talk about hope and Christian conduct amidst hard times. He's going to talk about how we should live our lives in difficult times. And the group that he is writing to, no doubt, is going through some tough times. People are losing their life. Their lives are being made difficult by the government. They are having things taken from them, even to the point, for some of them, their lives, because of their belief in Jesus. And so First Peter, he's going to write a letter to this group, and he's going to talk to them about what we should set our attention on. And so if if you've heard about this large clock tower, Big Ben is a large clock in Europe. And I've heard from stories that old Englishmen back in the day, they would set their pocket watch according to what Big Ben said. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Big Ben later on tonight. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it was a large tower, and they would look up, and if there's any discrepancy, a difference between what their watch said and what Big Ben said, well, they wouldn't change Big Ben. They would actually change their own watch because that was the standard. That was what they needed to set their attention on and align what they had with. And so what I want us to deny is to understand the standard of which we should set our attention on. It's not going to be a, a clock tower, but it's going to be a holy God that cares for every single one of us. It's going to be a holy God that loves us so much that he would send his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. It's going to be a holy God that even though we might endure difficult times here on earth, he has a better promise in store for us in eternity. And so we need to set our attention on the standard that, that actually matters. So as we set the stage, Peter's opening argument or his introduction, we see it summarized in verses 8 and 9. And, and he says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. He's talking about Jesus. Though you did, do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so last week we talked about what this salvation really means for us. We talked about how this 
makes us born again into what Peter would call a living hope, a new life. And that is the hope that we are to set our own hope on, the one that is eternal, not the one that's, that's right in front of us. And so what does that salvation um, really mean for us and what does that mean for our lives? You see, this is Peter's introduction. You've been born again to a living hope. And so then we read in verse 13. I don't have the slide for you, but you can look at it in your Bibles. He says, therefore. And what should you always ask when you read the word therefore? You should ask, what's it there for? And that's the introduction I just laid out for you. He says, because you are saved, therefore live like this. Set your hope on what is eternal. And tonight we're going to see what it means, because we are saved, what it means to be holy. Okay? So we pick up the series in verse 14. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And I want you to notice, once again, kind of these first couple words that Peter writes. In verse 14, we see that he writes, as obedient children. This is, this is what he is comparing us to. As obedient children to who? To our earthly parents? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about because we've been saved, right? Because we've been saved, we are now children of God. That's what the Bible teaches. So because we are children of God, we should reflect our heavenly father. Now this can be difficult sometimes, especially when our earthly parents maybe have let us down before. Maybe our earthly parents haven't been around like we wish they would be. And so sometimes there can be a barrier that's created because of what our earthly parents have done. But I want you to look past that and look to our, our heavenly father. You see, our heavenly father is loving. Our heavenly father is powerful. Our heavenly father is consistent. And so as obedient children, we should reflect the Father. Okay? So two commands we really see in these three verses, and here they are. Peter says that as children of God, one, do not be shaped by this world, and two, be holy in all that you do. These are our two commands. Our first one and our second one. These are what we're going to really look at in these three verses. What does it mean to be shaped by this world? And then what is this H word that we always see and talk about in church? To be holy. I mean, if the Bible wants us to be holy in all that we do in our whole lives, well, it, it might be helpful to understand what it means to be holy, right? So we're going to look at that tonight. Let's start in verse 14. So, our first command that we see in 1 Peter is to not be shaped by this world. So we have this beginning again, as obedient children. And this is what he is, he is starting with, because we should act as though our heavenly Father would want us to act. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now what does that word conformed mean? As we look at it, we learn that to be conformed means to be shaped or to be fashioned. I'm from Alaska, so what I think is, is 
when snow hits the ground. Any guys, any guys ever actually experienced snow? Anybody in here? Okay, so 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 a good good group of you. The rest of you, you just have to take our word for it. But have you ever been able to scoop up snow and make a snowball, only to launch it at your dad when they're not paying attention, and then get grounded? The the rest of is that anybody else? Is that, okay, okay. So I'm not the only one. But to pick up that snow, and then to fashion it, to shape it into the perfect projectile that when I launch it, it's going to have maximum velocity. Maybe, maybe I'm going to make it in a way that I could put some curve onto it. I'm just kidding. I don't think you can do that with snowballs. Um, but you, you shape it into something useful, right? And so Peter, he's, Peter says here, listen, don't be shaped. Don't be shaped, well, by, by what? He says, to the passions, to the passions of your former ignorance, okay? Well, if my hands were to shape a snowball, what, how would my passion shape my life? Well, well, passions here can refer to um, a few things. Um, I think one word that we could do is the lusts that we have, the things that we desire after in an, in a, in an unhealthy way. It could be our sinful desires, Things that we know are wrong, but we want them anyways, and, and we go after them. And so Peter says, listen, don't be shaped by these things. Not that, not that you will be perfect when you become a Christian, because you won't be. But these passions, check this out, are from your former ignorance. What does that mean? Why, why is Peter calling me ignorant? I don't, I don't understand. Why is he being so, so mean? What he means is... This is part of your old life. This is what used to run the way you think. This is what used to be what determined where you found your identity. This is what determined what you pursued after. This is what determined what you did to gain the approval of the people around you. This is the old master of your life. Listen, you didn't know any better. That's why he says your former ignorance, because you... you you didn't know. You were blind. You guys remember the story of, of Paul, the Apostle Paul? Well, he's on the road to Damascus when Jesus reveals himself, and Paul goes blind. He goes blind. Later on, he has, he has the scales removed from his eyes, and he's able to um, minister in a way that perhaps no one else had ministered except for Jesus himself. And so it's as if we, we had scales of our eyes. The, the, the sin, our former way of living, it caused us not to be able to see what we really needed to see. And so Peter says, listen, don't be shaped by this old way of living, by these sinful desires. Listen, as obedient children, don't, don't do this. Don't be shaped by the world. Don't be shaped by, by what you used to be influenced by. Don't be shaped by this world. That, that's, our, that's our first command. We move on to our second one. Our second command is this, to be holy in all that you do, okay? So we read in verse 15 that Peter writes, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay, so let's break this down for a second. So Peter starts off, I mean, in this verse we see that it starts off with, But as he who called you is holy. Who can tell me who this is referring to? Jesus, we could say God, it is 
the holy God in heaven who has re redeemed us. We could say it was Jesus because he died on the cross for our sins, but nonetheless, Peter here is talking about God. So God who called you is holy. This is the command he gives. He says, you also be holy. Be holy in all your conduct, meaning in all of your life, not just parts of it. And I think that's, that, that's temptation, isn't it? That our lives are kind of like, kind of like a dresser in our bedroom where we put some things in one dresser, and we put another things in the next drawer, and other things in the next drawer. I mean, we treat Jesus like this sometimes, don't we? We say, Jesus, you can have the top drawer, but the rest I'm going to decide what to do with. Does that make sense? And so Jesus doesn't actually rule our entire life. We, he just gets a part of it. It'd be as if your life is a house, a beautiful, beautiful house. And you say, Jesus, welcome in. You can do whatever you want in the living room. That's your room. That's it. But don't touch anything else in the house. You can design this one, but don't be messing with the way I got everything else set up. Student, understand, that's not the way that salvation works. That's not the way that being a Christ follower works. When you say, Jesus, I want you to save me, take me to heaven when I die, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. Guess what? You don't give Jesus just keys to the house. Jesus is the entire house. You live within him. He's not just one drawer in the dresser. He is the entire piece of furniture. Jesus becomes everything okay and so peter here he's challenging us commanding us to be holy in in every aspect of our life every aspect so, so that kind of begs the question right what does it mean to be holy and, and, and i kind of want your your guys's thoughts on this to see perhaps what you think it is what you know it to be how, how would you answer that question what does it mean to be holy Okay. Yeah. Okay. How would you define holiness? Or what's it mean to be holy? Ethan. Okay. Setting something apart for God, that's good. What else? James David, round two. To not sin. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at this side of the room. Someone, someone give me an answer. What does it mean to be holy? Yeah. Okay, to be as close to God as you can. Okay. Anyone else? Grace? Perfect without flaw. Okay. James David. Round three. Last one. Better the good. Okay. 
okay? I want you guys to think of it like this. When we compare ourselves to the people around us on who's a better person or not, I think that we, I think that we have a standard that's really high, and that's God's. God's way up, you know, he's the ceiling, like he's 100 out of 100, he gets it right every single time. And then there's the worst people of the worst people that ever exist. They're, 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 at, they're at the bottom, right? They're at the floor level. They're zero out of 100. Like, they're failing every single time. And then we place ourselves somewhere in between there, right? We're, we, we, we try to justify the way that we live, the decisions that, that we make. And so I want you guys to th- think of it this way. It's not as though God can even be on that measurement because God is the measurement, if that makes sense. See, it's not like you are measuring something with a ruler. God himself is the ruler. He is the standard. He is the Big Ben that we compare ourselves to. We're not in the same category as he is. He is the one that we match up against. And so everything that God does is holy. Okay, Everything he does is with, without sin. It is without evil. It is without selfishness. Everything God does is holy, and all of his attributes uh, flow out of his holiness. So his love for us is holy. It's not manipulative. It's not so that he can get something out of us, but it's because he is perfect and, and, and he is a loving God. His power is holy, not because he wants to flex, Although at times he, he does do that to nations that go up against him. But his power is holy and perfect because it is carrying out his will. And so what does it mean to be holy? I, I mean, I think we could give a basic definition of something like this. To be distinctly set apart from all sin and evil. Okay? And the key words here that most people that study the Bible would say are these two words. To be set apart. It is taking something and you set it apart from everything else. It is distinct. It is distinguished from the group. Okay? My follow-up question to this, and, and maybe you're like me, and you think of the same thing. Well, okay, well, if God can be set apart from all sin and evil, and he can be holy, well, can humans be holy? Because Peter and the Bible are telling us to be holy, so then, well, then how can we be holy? And, and the answer I want you to know is, is yes. Humans can be holy, but it's through a process that we would call sanctification. Now, that is a long word that simply means, let's see if I put it on here. I didn't put it on there. Simply means to be more like Jesus. And it's this, this, this process that takes, that takes lifelong to become more and more like Jesus every single day. The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit creates a, a, a new um, creature within you. He creates a new person. And so you are no longer the old person that you once were. And so the Bible teaches that in that moment... In the less than a blink of an eye, you have been sanctified. Meaning you have been made like Jesus, like the video showed. You have been made spiritually pure. Okay? 
It's as, if, it's as if Jesus forgave you, and instead of the impurity in you, you were made pure. But here's the problem. The problem is that we still live on earth in sinful fleshly bodies. And so the Bible also teaches that although we are, we are immediately sanctified, that we also go through a process of continual sanctification where each and every day we are to be growing closer and closer to Jesus. And we do that through, through many different things. So can humans be holy? Well, yeah. It's just it's a process. So what does this, what does this mean for me and, and, and what does this mean for you? Because we know that that problem of our fleshly bodies that are causing us to, to be sinful that it causes us to be disobedient, well, Jesus is going to take care of that one day. Jesus is going to come back, and Revelation tells us he's going to conquer everything. He's going to rule. It's going to be awesome. But what does this mean for me right now? And, and I just want to remind you of our two commands, that we should not be shaped by this world. We should be holy in all that you do. So, so what does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? Well, I think that means this, that we should be shaped by what? God has called you to as a child of God. Big assumption here. Big assumption. That if you are to follow these commands, you are a Christian. That is the truth. If you're not a Christian, guess what? I don't expect you to follow these. I, I appreciate your respect. I appreciate your attention. But if you're not a Christian, guess what? These mean absolutely nothing to you. And I get that because I was there. I, I, I didn't get saved until I was a junior in high school. So I remember being a middle schooler and absolutely not caring. Growing up in a private school, going to chapel once a week, going to youth group every once in a while. Listen, I get it. I wasn't a Christian, so none of this even mattered to me. So if you are a Christian, this should matter to you. Because this is what the Bible teaches. That we are not to look like the rest of the world. And this is so difficult because... As we're going to see with, with being holy, when it comes to being holy, it means to be distinguished from the group. See, you should be holy in all that you do. You should not act like the rest of the world, but you should, this is what it means to be holy, be different for the glory of God, becoming more like Jesus every day. And that's the hard part. That's the challenge. Because every single one of us, myself included, it doesn't matter if you're 6th, 7th, 8th grade, if you're an adult, if you're, if you're when you're in high school, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us want to have friends. Every single one of us want to be invited into the crowd. Every single one of us doesn't want to be cast out, but rather we want to be included. And so am I saying that the Bible teaches that you shouldn't have any friends and that you should not hang out with people and that you should just be some crazy Jesus freak that just... Whatever, well, no, not necessarily. But if your beliefs in Jesus causes you to lose friends, you and those friends didn't have the most important thing in common. You see, we are called to be holy. We're called to be distinct. When we blend in with the crowd, guess what? You're not distinct. When you blend in with the crowd, you don't distinguish yourself. You just blend in. You're part of everybody else. See, being holy means to be set apart, not to be blending in. So be holy in all 
that you do. This is what the Bible teaches, that we are to be distinguished because we are obedient children of a holy God that loves every single one of us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. So, because we have been born again to a living hope, as obedient children, we should not look like the rest of the world. Don't fall victim to your old way of living. And as we live our lives, be holy, set apart, distinguished for the glory of God. That's God's invitation. That's his challenge. Are you willing to accept it?